Uh, this is Just Allen, and I'm here with conversation with uh, somebody that uh, I've taken some cooking courses with, who's a famous author of Asian cooking, and that's Corrine Trang. Welcome to Conversations. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I've spent some time cooking with you, and I, I love Asian food, and I love your style. You've written you. many, many cookbooks. Uh, I'm going to uh, put the entire list up on the web so people can check it out. And I myself uh, am cooking out of your uh, Essentials of Asian Cuisine, which I find really extraordinary because there are so many tips in here on what kind of uh, uh, things to buy, what kind of sauces like uh, uh, fish sauce or soy sauce. There's so many differences in everything. Tell us a, a little about your background. Let's just get started. Were you, were you born in the United States or in Asia? I actually was born in France, and I was uh, raised partly in France, partly in Asia, and mostly in the U.S. Uh, I came here as a child, um, you know, going straight into, um, I guess, middle school, sixth grade, was it, when I when I got here? Um, and, of course, I've been here for, um, we'll say, X amount of years, <laughs> do you, but a long time. <laughs> do you speak different languages? I speak uh, French fluently. Uh, I dabble with Cantonese uh, only because, you know, I, I, I've had to learn it, and it's a wonderful thing to have to learn, um, you know, to communicate with, uh, you know, with people when I'm uh, in Asia, when I'm in Hong Kong, at farmer's markets, or even in restaurants. And it's a lot of fun to be able to go to a country and actually, you know, speak the language that's spoken there. Um, and a little bit, very, very little of Mandarin. And those are two languages, Cantonese and Mandarin, two Chinese dialects that um, I actually love to uh, continue learning. And not only are they different languages, uh, their culture of food is different also. Absolutely. Tell us some of the differences between Mandarin and Cantonese. Well, I mean, you know, I, and, and also, so be, you have Mandarin, Cantonese. My personal uh, family dialect is even different than it's Chiu Zhao. You know, so it's still Southern, but if I were to count to 10, for example, you know, in my family dialect, it would sound like In Cantonese, it would be, you know, And in Mandarin, it would be So three very different sounding uh, you know, sounds uh, with the three different dialects, intonations are very different. It's tonal. It's a tonal language. It's exactly. one of the most difficult languages uh, on earth, I think. Which makes it fun in a way. Yes. You know, it's like just to have, you know, if, if you're uh, if you're into music and listening to different sounds, you know, it kind of, it, it can be uh, really, really uh, fun and challenging. So and I musical. Love, uh, music, it's very musical. Uh, Chinese and you know Chinese dialects in general but I find that to be true with a lot of different languages so even if you go to France or if you go to Italy you know Spain all these different languages um, Portuguese is incredibly musical to me um, but in terms of cuisine uh, it's very very regional like everywhere else in the world you know Asian cuisine is very very regional too uh, within China, you know, you have the north, the south, the west, the east, you know, and I just did a, um, a four-part series 
at uh, the Blue Cashew here in, in Kingston. So, um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but just covering, you know, the the spicy West Szechuanese cuisine, for example, or the coastal cuisines of of um, of Shanghai, you know, and you know, doing seafood from there, or the the steam, the steamy dishes from from the South, where you know there's very very little use of spices, uh, leaving the food very. Um, delicate in flavor in comparison to the you know to the spice laden foods of the south you know of the of the west for example or the very simplistic foods of the north you know a boiled sweet potato or a bread you know a homemade uh, scallion scallion breads for example scallion flatbreads uh, or scallion pancake as we know it in different uh, Chinese restaurants here. Um, dumplings can be very simple. They can be served, you know, just simply steamed yes. or pan fried or deep fried with or without sauce, you know, uh, and the sauce can be, you know, vinegar based. It can be soy sauce based. It can have spices or not herbs. Let, let, let's talk a moment about uh, uh, the regional differences in Asia per se. Uh, in other words, uh, not only China, but uh, all through the Asian uh, Pacific, what are the main differences in the uh, food and the spices? Because a lot of uh, food culture has kind of homogenized over the years, but originally each place had its own distinct flavors. Is there a way that you could describe the different flavors of different countries? Well, uh, yeah, and you know, in very in a very general way, because you're right, everything is kind of, you know, uh, has fused into something entirely different nowadays. You know, a lot of vegetables are now imported from the U.S. to Asia, you know, which is really strange to me, considering that there's a huge, I mean, there's an abundance of, of vegetables in Asia because of the climate alone. But um, so if we if we look very, very again, very, you know, being very, very general, uh, if you look at Southeast Asian cuisines, uh, particularly Vietnamese, uh, let's take a look at Vietnamese cooking as opposed to Thai food. You know, in Thai cooking, uh, there's a lot of spices. There's a lot of sweetness to it. Um, there's a great deal. What the common, you know, uh, factor being uh, the fresh ingredients, you know, how you combine raw and cooked together, the yin and the yang. You know, something, you know, when, when we talk about raw food, you know, so again, we're talking about labeling, you know, different types of food. We talk about the raw diet, raw food. For me, the original raw food, it comes from Vietnam because, you know, there's a great deal of emphasis on raw ingredients. You know, there's always a table salad that's served with, for example, spring rolls. Again, it's all about the yin and the yang, combining raw with something that's cooked, you know, so... And the fresh herbs, an abundance of fresh herbs, you know, and that you can see throughout Southeast Asia. Uh, we look at Japan and and uh, Korea, for example. There's an abundance of a lot of different ingredients, but but in Japan, you know, the noodles, the soba, um, you know, the udon, uh, and and in in Korea, the cellophane noodles. And if you look at those two countries, and then you look at Chinese noodles, you recognize you know the mung bean threads to the Korean potato starch noodle, both of these being cellophane noodles. Cellophane noodles, why are they called that way, or crystal noodles, because they become transparent 
when cooked, okay? And then the udon noodles are derived from wheat noodles, northern wheat noodles from China, okay? So there's always some kind of connection between the different cultures of Asia, but certainly the, t you know, the way you, the foods of Japan, of Korea, of China, of Thailand, of Vietnam, Philippines, and, and you know, uh, Burma, they're all very different. So Southeast Asia, again, you know, you're going to use uh, fish sauce as a base. That's the salt, okay? Korea and Japan and China, we're going to use soy sauce. That's the salt, you know, to the French, Italian, and Spanish, and even here in the U.S., uh, you know, uh, sea salt. So, um, but that you know, where for us, the sea salt is used primarily as something to, you know, to make something savor, savory. Uh, in Asia, uh, whether you are in Southeast Asia um, or, or, you know, Korea or Japan, you're going to use either Japanese, uh, either uh, soy sauce or fish sauce. And it's not just a salt. It's also a flavoring agent. Well, okay. yes, the fish sauce really adds a tremendous amount to uh, the flavor of a dish. Absolutely. It's a I mean, very it, strong flavor. Yes. And, and here, you know, we're, we're going to kind of like explore the different types of flavors that can come from a single ingredient. Like, for example, soy sauce, you know, has you have different types of soy sauces and it all depends on what they've been infused with. There's a mushroom based soy sauce, but there's also, you know, a thin soy sauce versus a thick soy sauce. And one has nothing to do with with calories or the amount of salt, but rather the way it's used, one has molasses in it and is used as a colorant. The other one is thin and it's used as a seasoning. You've all, and you've oftentimes all, they're combined. You've also uh, said the uh, difference in the way in Japan when they make soy sauce and they take their time. And oh, soy sauce is, yes. uh, by the time it ferments, it could be over a long period of time. Absolutely. So, you know, with everything um, in the world now, you know, uh, it's it, it, it's instant gratification. It's, it's you know, uh, instant everything. But if you look at the old ways of preparing food, you know, when I was in Japan, um, there was this wonderful, and I forget exactly where it is now, but it's somewhere in between Tokyo and Kyoto. <laughs> Um, this was many moons ago. Um, there was this soy sauce, uh, you know, I don't want to call it factory, this soy sauce shack, I'm going to call it, because it was family-owned, uh, many generations. A cottage industry. A cot yeah, exactly. And I walked in, and there was this massive oak barrel that was probably four stories high and as wide as a, as a farmhouse. It was huge. And um, and that's where the soy sauce was fermenting. So if you look at those, you know, uh, mass-produced soy sauces that are basically fermented for four months in stainless steel vats um, that are thin, even when you taste them, I'm not talking about about um, uh, you know about texture. Really, I'm, when I say thin uh, I'm, or robust, I'm talking about the flavor. Um, thin in that it was, you know, there was barely any flavor in comparison. It's just salt and soy, very basic, compared to the sauces that came out of this oak barrel that was fermented for 15 months mm. before it was bottled. You know, now you have something that's robust. So it's the difference between a young wine, let's say, and, and something that's been aging 
for a few years, right? And and we're drinking tea right now, and that's the same thing. You can have a current harvest tea, or you can have a tea that's what we in the industry call vintage or aged, which is, you know, same thing as wine. Tea is defined by terroir, so climate, soil, but also uh, the flavor of tea is defined by the way it is kept, it is stored. So and the way it's aged and the way it's roasted and so on and so forth. Everything comes from the same plant, just like in wine, it comes from grape. In tea, it comes from the same leaf, the Camellia sinensis. But the varieties uh, you know, are defined by, number one, where the tea plant is growing because the climates are different in Japan, Korea, China, Nepal, India, uh, um, Sri Lanka, for example. But also, by the way, the tea leaves are processed and the way they're roasted and the way they're stored so um, and sometimes they're fermented, you know. Um, so it's it's to me when I'm when I'm researching food, um, I love to dig into that stuff because it's so interesting. You know, now I've been really into tea and I'm I'm tasting hundreds of teas. You know, every harvest, every season. I'm thinking, how is it possible that one plant is going to give me so much variety? But it's like wine. You know, you have let's just take Cabernet Sauvignon for example. You know, you have Cabernet Sauvignon from Bordeaux, and you have Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa, all right? One is New World, the other one is Old World. Well, the Old World is going, you know, wine is going to taste uh, probably, you know, lighter and spicier than the New World wine, wh where the soil is a lot richer, um, which is going to taste, you know, a bit more fruit forward. Um, even the alcohol content, you're going from like a 13.5% to somewhere in 15.6 and, and, and upwards of that. I mean, it's a different wine, and yet it's the same grape. So you can, you know, do all these types of comparisons, even when you're looking at food, at ingredients like fish sauce or soy sauce. You know, fish sauce, the ones from the Philippines, uh, happen to be saltier than the ones from Thailand or Vietnam, for example. You know, you're looking at a lemon. A lemon from this bin or that bin is going to, you know, one lemon next to the other is two very different fruit. One has more or less fruit than the other, is more or less sour than the other. Um, so, you know, we're talking, you know, before about how to approach recipes or how to approach cooking in general. And, you know, I've I've written a, a few cookbooks. Yes, you know? many, many, <laughs> many, many. But but you know my the way I teach cooking when I've you know when I have uh, the pleasure of teaching, um, I I always say to to the guests or students you know whether I'm teaching uh, culinary courses in in a, in a vocational or avocational uh, setting, I say take a look at the recipe, read it. Put the book aside, put the recipe aside, and make that recipe your own. Because number one, we're dealing with, with a set of ingredients that are not the same than the ones I used while I was testing the recipe. Okay, you have to make some adjustments based on, again, how sour the lemon is, how salty the fish sauce is, okay, and also the equipment you're using. And then it's also about feeling your way through the process, taking pleasure in making that moment, that experience, your own. And I really believe that learning to cook is really about trial 
an error. Yes, we discussed you know? before, uh, a, a recipe is a good place to uh, jump off of and, and start to cook. And then, of course, you have to customize it to your own tastes. Absolutely. But, you know, let me, let me uh, digress for a second. Sure. Uh, I, I know that uh, you have a diet for people who have diabetes. You have recommendations of food. And uh, diabetes seems to be a problem that's occurring. Uh, uh, really, yes, so. increasing in the in, in the United States and the world. The world, basically. I mean, there are high numbers of, of uh, diabetes even in in Southeast Asia. In the Philippines, is one of the you know places where the highest numbers of diabetes occurrences um, happens to be. You so, know. what food adjustments would you recommend for people uh, trying to combat uh, this problem? Um, for any kind of conditions, diabetes included, um, heart disease, you know, think about any possible condition you may have or may have had and you have to maintain, you know, uh, now today or live with now today. Um, increase your greens. Increase your greens. Um, we don't put enough emphasis on, on the plant-based diet. Uh, I'm not saying that if you know if you're not naturally a vegetarian, if you really don't uh, want to be vegetarian or don't want to be vegan or for whatever reason you want you like having you know a variety in your food. There's nothing wrong with that. Have a variety, you know, of different uh, things to eat in your diet. However, uh, 70 to 75 percent of your plate should really be plant-based. That constitutes a balanced diet when you have a small amount of protein, whatever that protein may be, okay, and be sure it's lean, a small amount of carbs, whether, and, and the carbs should be whole grain for the most part, okay, the rest of that plate should be 70 or 75% green. And so when I say to people, you know, if you're going to go food shopping, be sure that you're spending 75% of your time in the produce aisle. Good advice. You know, and then run through the rest. Make yes. a good choice, but run through the rest. But spend that time, you know, selecting really beautiful greens. And listen, it's not perfect, okay? We go to, you know, we go food shopping and pick your favorite store. It doesn't, your market, it doesn't really matter, you know, uh, especially in the East Coast when you don't have the farmer's markets during the winter, you're kind of stuck, you know, with getting greens or any kind of produce from, you know, way out west being shipped in. So it's not really a perfect situation, but it's better than the alternative. Um, and But having that amount of fiber in your diet um, is really, really helpful. Did, did you find that uh, in Asia people shop more often for fresh food, like on a daily basis? Absolutely. Um you know, I grew up in a part French, part Asian family. I'm half French, half Chinese, Cambodian. And so uh, this is the water. I'm actually boiling water uh, for tea. Yes, I'm uh, getting excited because <laughs> I'm a tea drinker. And, and this is the green tea right here, by yeah. the way. Oh, thank you. And look at that color. The color is absolutely beautiful. It's A uh, Korean green tea. Yes, uh, tran <laughs> almost tra translucent. and it's beautiful. Uh, but I'm going to taste it. And yeah. Yeah. Um, isn't that wonderful? Yes. That is really, really a very, very nice green tea. <laughs> Beautiful. So, you know, and the next one is a white tea, you know, pure bud white tea. Um, but in, in any case, you know, when, when we're um, 
selecting ingredients, I mean, just having more greens in your diet will ensure that you have, you know, enough fiber. And fiber is essential for, you know, for making your digestive system work properly. Yes. You know, not only that, but from plant-based food, you're going to get a lot of vitamins and minerals. Again, you know, during the winter, you're not going, you're not going to have as much of these vitamins and minerals as you would if you were shopping at the farmer's market. You know, what we can consider live food just picked. Talking about live food just picked, I was just down in Chinatown this week. And I, I'm always amazed at the selection of fresh vegetables, the tremendous amount of live fish, live crabs, yes. live crustaceans. Uh, and that's just key. Yes. It, it's uh, really fascinating to see people go out and uh, it's like a farmer's market every day. Yes. And you'll see that during the winter, too. You know, I mean, that's and God bless them for staying out there, you know, while it's snowing outside. And while it's hot and while and it's raining. Exactly. Any weather, yes. you know, um, they're there selling their goods. Um, but there is something to be said for, for going shopping every day. Um, for me, it's important. I don't like to stock up my fridge. I really don't because, um, f first of all, I don't like to buy a whole lot of stuff when I go to the market. It, I find it overwhelming to have a full cart. Um, so one of the ways that I keep healthy is to actually go back to the market on a daily basis almost uh, to pick up just those ingredients that I need to cook that day. Um, I think that it just, you know, allows you to think about food in a different way, you know, uh, and it's, it's just really pure pleasure of going shopping, of selecting, of being inspired uh, by by the season, by what's in the bins that day, as yes. opposed to I'm going to shop for the entire week. Yes. Um, granted, people work. I understand that. But for me, if you have time to watch TV, certainly you have time to go shopping. You have time to take care of yourself. Well, that would so, be the biggest change if people would throw out their TVs and actually do things that are a little healthier, even getting yeah. up and going shopping to get off the couch. Well, know. that's it. Get off the couch is yeah. it, you know. Um, be active and, and make a conscious decision uh, to take care of your health on a daily basis. And it, and it just starts by actually getting up and uh, doing it. Yeah. I'd like to talk about uh, unami, uh, uh, the, the flavor, the flavors of Asia and and what builds that flavor uh, issue ah, there? Okay, so, you know, when we talk about Asian food, especially, w well, at least when I'm teaching uh, a course on any kind of Asian food, whether it's Korean food, Japanese, or Chinese, or, or Vietnamese, or whatever, um, I talk about the five flavor notes. Sweet, sour, salty, spicy, bitter. Okay, now you just mentioned umami. Okay. Um, Umami is a sensation, okay? It's something that opens up the taste buds, something, it's, it's almost, you know, and, and it's funny because you look at something that I don't like to add to my cooking, but it's, um, it's uh, monosodium MSG, yes. glutamate, and that's where you get your umami. It's, it's, it opens the taste buds. You can get that from salt, okay? But umami is almost, in this, uh, you know, uh, indescribable um, it's a sensation more than it is an actual flavor um, in my opinion but it's also very much connected to seaweed 
Is it what people talk about when they've had a great meal and everything yes, is Yes, everything is all of a sudden, it's everything yeah. is umami. You know, yeah. somebody mentioned it one time and all of a sudden now it's it's like, oh, umami, we can't, you can't get rid of the word now, uh, <laughs> which is really funny to me. But if you just look at what you have in front of you, you know, sweet, sour, spicy, bitter uh, notes, savory, right? You're going to understand the structure, the architecture of a meal very quickly. Um, you know, in the West, we tend to have an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert on the most basic level, a level, a three-course meal. In Asia, we have different dishes that compose to compose a meal. Your main ingredient being rice, yes. right? And then everything else in very small portion, okay? Especially, especially protein. A lot so of the food in the Asia is prepared family style. Absolutely. Where they put it all out on the table and each person uh, picks what they like and exactly. uh, carries the rice bowl and right. uses it as a, a, com a, a, a accomplishment, accompaniment. Yes. An accompaniment. So the rice is your actually your main course, right? It's considered the main course. That's your canvas. So if you think about painters, they have a canvas and then they throw color at it, right? I don't want to say throw. That seems like weird. No, they paint and they make these beautiful, colorful uh, pictures, right? Paintings. But if you if you look at uh, painting or any kind of art form where you're dealing with texture and color, right? The Chinese table, the Vietnamese table, the Asian table in general is going to have all these different colors on the table, okay? The bowl of rice is the canvas. We never season rice. Now, I see a lot of people like to drizzle some soy sauce on the rice, and that's unfortunate because rice is the canvas. It's going to absorb all these different flavors that you get from your stir-fried spinach or bok choy, uh, from your uh, stir-fried you know, beef, if that's what you like, or a chicken, a roasted chicken, or steamed fish, okay? It's going to have all these different flavors coming into the rice as you eat off these different platters family styles. So you never want to season your rice. Your rice is what buffers everything. It's your cleansing you know, element uh, between each bite. Um, and then there's always a broth because of course, liquid is important in the diet, right? Now, a lot of times here, we don't really think about liquid, but we, in Asian culture, we think about liquid, you know, so if you think of the Ayurvedic principle, which is, you know, uh, Ayurveda is a precursor to Chinese herbal medicine, basically, uh, where you, you think about one third food, one third water, and one third air. Now, what does that mean exactly? One third food is just you have your, your, you know, this portion of food that you need to fill your stomach with. And then it's followed by a third water or liquid, which needs, you know, which, which you need in order to kind of make the slurry inside of your stomach, right, with the solids. So the liquids and the solids mix together. But in order for your body to digest the solids, you also need air. Because imagine a blender filled to the top well, then you're making a smoothie, right? And you're throwing fruit in the smoothie, right? And you're throwing the liquid and you're right to the rim. Try and make that work. 
There's no room at the top of the blender. The ingredients can't possibly mix properly, right? You need air, and that's the third part, air. A third food or solids, a third liquid, a third air. You now, need the air to get everything to work properly in your digestive tract. Do people drink teas with their, their food in Asia? Generally, tea is reserved after a meal. After well, a meal for digestion. I'm tasting right now your white tea. The white tea, And yes. that's also a very clear, a very, very light color green. Less intense than the first green tea. It has much, a much less, much more subtle than the first. Yes, it's floral. Yes. It has a beautiful floral element. Yes, the first one tasted like green tea. Right. And it but it tasted like it had hints of seaweed or something. You know, it's just really really lovely, buttery in a way. Yeah, the white tea was just thick, more subtle. Right? Texture-wise, it was kind of thick, mm. velvety on the tongue. Yes, this is very very light. And this one now after the white tea I have here is an oolong. So an oolong is a semi oxidized tea and this one happens to be from the south of China from the Phoenix Mountains. Okay. Are all these teas from China? No. So the green tea was from Korea. The white tea is from China from the Yunnan province. This uh, oolong, the first oolong, which is a lightly oxidized, light to medium oxidized, about 40%, I would say. And when you say oxidized, roasted. what does that actually mean? I always like to explain it um, as with something that's very familiar to everyone, basil. When you start slicing through basil or even avocado, what happens? What happens to the color? Changes. Exactly. So when you're picking the tea leaves, the leaves start oxidizing like that. And the way to stop the oxidation is by quickly applying heat to them to stop the oxidation. In fact, green tea is quickly roasted or wok fired in order to stop oxidation. And uh, so the tea, the oxidation plays a tremendous part in the flavor. Uh, in the flavor of the tea. Yeah. And you know, when the tea is picked, also. Absolutely. So you know there are nine flushes in tea. So from the from you know the pure bud, which is like the first you know spring growth to the first true leaf, and then so on and so forth. And then it's like whether you know a specific style of tea has one bud and one leaf, one bud and two leaves. Does it have you know a little bit of stem? How you know what is the technique used in 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 allowing the the leaves to oxidize in Taiwan? They roll the leaves. Okay, they make like little bowls. You know. Uh, little, it, it looked like you know the size of peas, for example. Um, so, and then how long it's roasted? How many days? You know, at what temperature? All these different elements uh, determine the flavor of the tea. So, from you know, one plant, from you could one get plant, which is fascinating. Right, you could get so many different flavors exactly. of tea. So, you know, just to to uh, really clarifying things that tea, true tea, cha comes from one plant, Camellia sinensis. Mint is not a tea. Chamomile is not a tea. Those are tisans. They are herbal infusions. They're the, not teas. So, th oh, that's very interesting. Okay. But here in America, we, you, we say- We call it tea, herbal yes. tea, and there's no such thing as herbal tea. Um, you know, tea is a specific 
plant. But chamomile is not. Lavender is not a tea. Oh, that's very, so, in, that's very interesting. Yeah. And now, and we're drinking now. This one is from the Phoenix Mountains in Camp in um, in Chaozhou, which is actually where my family is from. It's Isn't not it as sweet. It has a touch of uh, a little bitterness, just a exactly. touch. Exactly. But it becomes sweet on the finish. Very nice finish. You're so right. So it's it does this, but this is like the wonderful thing about. About teas, you Wait, know. Really excuse me. The the noise you're hearing is just the tea. Oh pot. yeah, it's the tea. I, I'm I'm boiling. I'm bringing water to temperature, and we don't boil uh, water actually for tea, um, especially with green tea and white tea. So from the lightest teas to the darkest teas, you're going to increase uh, the temperature of the water, and that has to do with the, the idea. You know, the more the tea is roasted, the drier the leaves, the more steam, the more heat those leaves need to open up. So with a green tea, it's so delicate that you don't need a, a whole lot of heat and you don't want a whole lot of heat because you'll kill the tea leaves basically. Do, do you bring the water just almost to a, bo a boil? The only time I use full boil, full on boil, is for darker teas, so like a hong cha. Uh, what we call, what we refer to as red tea and what uh, the English call black tea. So it's really, really interesting and confusing uh, because what we know as black tea in the West is actually red tea. Black tea because the English looked at the leaves, the dried, you know, roasted leaves, and they said, wow, they're black. Let's call this black tea. And it's not black tea. It's hong cha. And you can see later when I'm pouring the black tea, the so-called black tea, which is really red tea, you'll see the color of what we call the soup. The liquid that comes out of these leaves is really more red than it is black. There is black tea we call hecha, and uh, that is a post-fermented tea, and that is truly black, as black as coffee. So uh, very, very different, you know, uh, kind of tea. Do, do you like leaving uh, the tea leaves in the cup if you're drinking tea at home, or do you strain the leaves out of your cup? Um, well, here I'm using what is called a gaiwan, a Chinese gaiwan, and I'm doing a gongfu tea service, right? Gongfu cha. Gongfu meaning to have skill. It's like kung fu, you know, except Bruce Lee's not around and I'm it, and we're doing gongfu cha. Okay, it's very, <laughs> it's very powerful. I can feel it's, it at, on this side. It's very, very powerful. When you have quality leaves, there are, you know, they are actually very powerful. Um, and I'm releasing the the essence of the tea, the energy of the tea, what we call the cha chi, right, the chi, uh, the energy of the tea ever so slowly over several steeps. So when you're using the gong fu method for steeping tea, each infusion is really just seconds long. I mean, you've been watching me do this and I'm just pouring after just a few seconds. And the tea leaves, because they're such good quality, you can infuse them several times. Well, describe describe exactly what you're doing because uh, our audience can't uh, see this right. at this moment. Uh, so I'm using a gaiwan, which is a cup with a lid, okay, in which the tea leaves um, are set. And I'm pouring the water inside uh, the gaiwan, this, this very special cup. And as soon as I pour it, I count maybe up to three seconds, sometimes five, depending on the infusion, okay? I'm already decanting. You're holding the, the lid onto 
the bottom and just pouring the liquid out with right. no leaves coming out. With no leaves coming out. I'm just, the lid is actually holding back the leaves, but I'm still pouring into a pitcher uh, that has a filter just to, you know, in case a leaf sneaks Fell uh, through. through. Yeah. And now I am pouring uh, from the fairness pitcher. Now, this is also a beautiful concept, the fairness pitcher. Okay, why do we call it a fairness cup or a fairness pitcher? That's a clear, like a clear glass with a, a, a lip, a smooth yeah. lip that uh, folds out just exactly. a touch. Exactly, exactly. And it's a fairness cup because if I were to decant, say I, I have four people who want to do a tea service, right? And I'm decanting the tea directly from the gaiwan into every little cup. The first person is going to have the lightest infusion the last person is going to have the strongest because the longer the water sits with the leaves, the stronger it gets. But if I decant the whole entire amount of, of liquid that's in my gaiwan, in my cup, into a fairness pitcher, then each little cup that I decant from the pitcher into each little cup for each of my guests, they're all going to get a fair. <laughs> that's, nah, that's incredible. I love that. Flavor, uh, right? Now, do do you do uh, tea ceremonies? I do. I do. Is um, that for private people or in public events? Um, so occasionally I'll be asked to do a pop-up. Um, and I have uh, in the past, I have done pop-ups even in here in the, in the Hudson Valley. Uh, but for the most part, right now, it's it's uh, private tastings, um, either you know um, private or or corporate. I do education, tea education, and um, corporate presentations as well. And um, I also officiate weddings. So and I do tea ceremonies for weddings. Oh, and that's, that's a fun. great idea for private yeah. parties and for private parties and yeah. weddings. That's great. Yeah, for the groom and the bride, they want to do something different. You know, they get to have a, a private uh, tea service uh, for them and their closed ones. Now, this tea that I'm about to taste is. Now, this one um, is an another oolong. Uh, darker roast. This is a dark roasted oolong and a dark oxidized room, about 60 to 70 percent oxidation. You can smell the roast. Exactly. It's warming. Oh, it's very nice. Um, it's a cozy, deeper, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> not next to the fireplace uh, in the winter. It has exactly. a little more body. Right. And it has a touch stronger taste and almost like you would flavor it from an outside fire in a way. If yeah. you were sitting by an outside fire in the fall, exactly. this would complement the fire yeah. would complement the tea. It's really, really wonderful. I mean these this is a tea from Fujian. So the fir the, the previous one was from uh the Can the the Guangzhou from the south. Now we're in Fujian, which is a bit uh, to the west and and uh, a little bit more up north than you know than than uh, the Guangzhou area, Guangdong province rather, and um, the it's also called cliff tea because the teas the the trees grow off you know that specific area is more arid. Um, it's kind of again if I were to um, describe uh, the type of soil in uh, Wei as opposed to uh, Guangdong, then we're talking about something that's far more arid. So it's kind of like Bordeaux versus Napa. One, it's richer soil, and or in the other one is more arid. It's more 
um, you know, uh, rocky. Even soil. if you planted the so same seeds in different soils, you would have a different completely taste. Completely different. It has to do again with climate and and you know soil. So um, with this particular tea, we call it you know yancha, which is um, cliff tea, uh, because it grows in an area that has a lot of beautiful cliffs. Um, so this is from the Wee Mountains, as opposed to the Phoenix Mountains, from Fujian, as opposed to Guangdong. Okay. Very, very full-bodied. Very full-bodied. Yes. And it has to do also with the fact that it's, uh, you know, uh, more uh, oxidized than the previous tea that we had. And it's also more roasted than the previous tea that so we have So we've actually gone from a very, very light to... Now we're uh, getting into yes, uh, uh, deeper flavors. Yes, yeah. really. It's, it's amazing, uh, the difference. From uh, the same plant. From That's the, <laughs> yes, amazing. Uh, you know, you've been described as the Julia t a Child of Asian Cuisine by the Washington Post. And <laughs> I, I, I can see I'll why. I'll never live that down. <laughs> why? I think that's a great compliment. That's, isn't that fun. a great compliment? It's wonderful. I mean, what a, you know, it is an honor. I mean, she's, she was just an amazing, She really amazing uh, brought a Educator. Yes. She educated us to a different yeah. form of cooking and how to be casual in the kitchen while you're cooking, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I and, like and, this. And, and I always have, a, you know, I not always, but I like to have a glass of wine in my hands also, be, you know, when I'm yes. cooking in the kitchen. That was her advice. Yes. I, I think that was good advice. And it, it's funny, you know, but I don't know about you, but when I'm cooking in the kitchen, depending on what I'm cooking, I play different kind of music. I drink either, you know, uh, I don't know, either a white wine or a red wine, or sometimes I'll drink tea, actually, in the kitchen. Um, so it's it's really really interesting sometimes i'll play opera <laughs> if i'm if i'm cooking italian food i'll cook uh, you know i'll play some opera in the background i i think music can definitely influence the way the cooking comes out now you you have a young daughter uh does she cook she does she she helps me with dumplings because it's one of her favorite things in the world uh for me too <laughs> dumplings well we cook dumplings together yes we have and <laughs> uh you know just today i went to the post box this is so interesting i have a friend out in california and once in a while he'll send me some interesting articles and today when i opened the envelope it was all about dumplings Oh, how nice. <laughs> he, he sent me newspaper clippings of, uh, from five different papers with dumpling recipes. So I'm, e I'm excited to actually, I didn't even have time to read it. But and you're the exciting. cook in the family, right? No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm the dishwasher in the family. <laughs> I cook occasionally. I doubt it. <laughs> I make a few dumplings from time to time, and uh, uh, I enjoy making pasta. Uh, but generally, Juliet does uh, most of our cooking, and uh, she's such a creative cook, and she bakes and makes everything. We never, as I said before, we never buy processed food. Uh, Juliet right. makes everything from scratch yeah. and uh, is well, really good careful. For you guys. Yes, yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have somebody that puts it's so much love into our food. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really, really important. You know, we're talking about we brushed upon you know diabetes and my philosophy in general about the way we eat. Um, I think it's really essential and probably the best thing anyone can do for themselves is to stay away from anything that's processed, including bread. I agree. Um, you, you know, bread should never have 20 ingredients in it. Uh, Juliet bakes our bread. We've never bought a loaf of bread, so uh, exactly. I, can, I, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, even the basics of bread 
uh, can change your life. Uh, good bread, when you eat really good homemade bread, uh, start the day that way. It's, it's just fantastic. Absolutely. So now we have this last tea. Yes. And what is this tea? This one is, well, actually, why don't you drink it and tell me? <laughs> and I'm only saying this because it's one of the most popular teas that people like to drink here. That has like a spicy note to it. Yes. Uh, I'm picking up spices on the sides of my tongue, and it has a touch of bitterness to it. Mm-hmm. I can't discern an exact taste. There's a slight moki- smokiness to it. Slight, but not very, like very. not like the last right. one. So this is an unsmoked. It's it's a hongcha. Right, so what we call what we refer to as red tea, and what we call here in the West black tea. Okay, to start with. Yes, the it color. It comes from Fujian. Yes, the color is a beautiful, really beautiful red. Yeah. Uh, very translucent, but deep. Clean. Yes. Yes, very clean. It's an unsmoked lapsang suchang. So the interesting thing, one of of the things that you know um, I do whenever I'm going into a tea shop because I visit a lot of tea shops it's just what I do right <laughs> because I'm very very interested and the first thing I'll ask is can I please you know uh, see your lapsang suchong and if I open the canister the tea canister and it's just all over my face I will probably walk out of the store and it's because a really good lapsang suchong in my opinion should not ever ever be in your face that way when so you say be in your face in that, it's so smoky ah. that to me it's like you it's not drinkable you know and it, it's really interesting i mean when i you know uh, i've spoken a lot to a lot of different pit masters you know and those the guys that you know are the women that do a lot of barbecuing and one of the things, one of their major pet peeves is when somebody comes up to them and say, oh, wow, you know, that meat was really delicious. It's really smoky. They can't stand it. Right. They can't stand hearing that because it's, the about, smo- the f- it's about the meat. It's right. not about the smoke. Yes. You know, that's just what happens when you put it in a barbecue, but it's not supposed to be smoke forward, right? So similarly, when I'm drinking a lapsang suchong, I like it to be mildly smoky so that what I'm tasting first and foremost are the tea leaves. And then that little back note of smokiness that makes it different from all the other types of tea is is welcomed, you know. So this one has a very, 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 very subtle. Very subtle. Smokiness. Now, we just had a single infusions of all of these teas. By the fourth or fifth infusion, that's going to be the strongest infusion. So if you follow the arc of a tea, it's going to go from mild to a little stronger, a little stronger, a little stronger, until you get to the fourth or the fifth steep, where it's going to be at its peak. And then it's going to drop off again. And when you say the steep, you're saying because now the tea leaves have absorbed the water and they've loosened up they've loosened up and so they're opening up and when the tea leaves open up they gets you know more flavor naturally as you go from one infusion to the next it's going to get ever so slightly stronger until it's reached its peak and then it's going to taper off again and so there's a natural arc of tea of the tea that you're drinking and you know if you're steeping using this method this traditional method that goes back about 700 years um, 
you know, you're releasing the energy, the flavor of the tea ever so slowly, your body throughout the day is going to follow that arc. So unlike coffee, you're not going to have that quick high and low. You're not going to crash. You're just going to carry this energy with you gently throughout the day. A lot of people say green tea is uh, a uh, antitoxinant. Uh, uh, antioxidant. Uh, yeah. Antioxidant, yeah. thank you. Uh, to take out the toxins within your system. Is there any truth to any of that? All teas do. All teas have different affinities, but they all have antioxidants. They're all medicinal. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the same plant, remember. So there's no reason why a green tea is more healthy than a black tea. No reason at all. Or an oolong, for example. It's all the same plant. Um, the way the tea is roasted is going to affect uh, the, you know, the, um, the way the tea heals. But essentially, all tea is medicinal. You know, it's like ginger. Whether you steam ginger, you eat it raw, or you eat it, you know, stir-fried, the ginger has a medicinal effect. Uh, it's going to be stronger if you have it raw. But that doesn't mean that because it's pickled, it's no, you know, the the um, the curative is no longer there. Uh, it's just there on a different level. Another That's question: uh, What, how many infusions, like, can you uh, give a, a bowl of tea leaves? How many would you say uh, it still holds a certain flavor and? anywhere from five to 20 or plus because when we're talking about you know a green tea a white tea an oolong or a hong cha you know red tea what we call here black tea we're going to have an average of seven steeps if it's really good top quality tea leaves now my tea leaves come directly from the farmers um in asia uh, but if you look at a fermented tea, like what we call pu'er, these are tea cakes that are, you know, compressed tea cakes and that have been aged, just like an aged wine, for example, right? Uh, stored for X amount of years, they're going to continue to ferment in storage. Uh, they're going to become more powerful in that way, um, more intense in flavor and complexity of flavor. Um, you know, very easily you can get, you know, uh, 12 plus steeps. I've had teas that have given me 20 plus steeps. Um, it's really, really an interesting subject tea, an interesting ingredient. And none of these teas have been blended. Those are all pure leaves. So they're not blended with jasmine, you know, just like jasmine tea. That's a blended tea. Um, you know, uh, if you have like hibiscus tea, green tea, that's a blended tea. Uh, Earl Grey is a blended tea. None of the teas you've had today are blended. Well, they were all delicious, and I, I really appreciated tasting the difference and kind of following the arc. Uh, let me ask you, uh, you, well, let me just say, you said you were going to lecture tomorrow. Uh, where are you going to lecture, and what are you going to lecture on? Um, so occasionally I am asked to lecture about holistic health and nutrition. Uh, so tomorrow I will be at Studio 9, uh, personal training, uh, you know, at 721 Broadway. Um, and uh, they've asked me to do a talk on holistic health and nutrition. I'm often asked to do that um, and how food and exercise, uh, you know, play out, you know. Um, and uh, the concept there is very, very simple. Use logic, <laughs> use your best judgment, but essentially it's all about input and output. 
Whatever it is you eat, you must burn. Um, if you're eating more calories than you can burn, it doesn't matter how much you exercise. If you can't burn the amount of calories you take in, uh, you have to work extra hard. Somehow figure out a way to burn those calories if you want to maintain a healthy weight. Okay, and then of course it has to do with the kind of metabolism metabolism that we have. And some people have fast metabolisms, others don't. So you know we're going to talk about all these different things. So how do we you know uh, maintain a healthy lifestyle um, through food, exercise, and considering uh, your constitution. You know, constitution being um, you know uh, something that's that's looked at when we're studying Ayurveda. We look at somebody's constitution. We are born with a specific constitution, you know, which has to do with the elements, uh, air, water, and fire. From there, uh, as we grow uh, and as we are influenced uh, by this or by that, and either, you know, uh, circumstance or people or who, whatever it is that we're influenced by, um, we evolve uh, kind of changing the constitution that we were born with that's natural to us. And so then we spend a lifetime, you know, this is now we're getting into yoga, spending a lifetime undoing what we've done to our bodies in order to bring back that constitution we were born with that's naturally ours and it's unique to us. Well, the people are certainly, yeah, they're certainly lucky to uh, have your lecture. Uh, you also have a website that people can uh, look for you at. Now, you, you do go out for weddings or private parties, yes. and you do give tea demonstrations. Absolutely. Is that, is that covered on your website? Yes, it is. So I have two different websites. Oh, let's hear both of them. So the first one is for my holistic health and nutrition counseling and any kind of lecture on, you know, on the subject or you know, food uh, teachings or all that, uh, that would be at www.corinetrang.com, and that's C-O-R-I-N-N-E-T-R-A-N-G.com. And the other one is all about tea, and it's called www.liquidgoldtea.com, L-I-Q-U-I-D-G-O-L-D-T-E-A. And do you do private parties? Do you cook at private parties? Give private yes. demos? Yeah, I do private parties. I, you know, either cooking courses, cooking classes, or uh, tea tastings. I do food and tea pairing events. I cater, um, and I teach quite a bit. Well, let me say, I've been at your uh, one of your food events where you taught about dumplings, and I thought you had a great way with everybody. There were 10 people, and uh, each person had things to dice and slice <laughs> and participate. And there was enough food, of course, for everybody to eat at the end. And it was a lot of fun. Thank you so uh, much. I really in enjoyed uh, your courses, and I've enjoyed uh, having you today on Conversations. Thank you so much, uh, Corinne Trang. Thank you, Alan. Okay. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. It has been fun, and thanks for the effort. Thank you.